Welcome to the newest draft season podcast. I am John Schmelk, joined as always by Eric Crocker and Tony Pauline. And don't forget, this podcast is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York football giants. Depending on when you're listening to this fans, for you, it's probably free agency season because stuff is happening every second here. So we're not going to mention any of that today. We'll talk about that a little bit next week in terms of how free agency is going to affect needs and you know things of that nature. So for us, it is draft season, and we are going to focus today on who our true first-round players are in this year's draft. And by that, we mean not who we think is going to go in the first round. It's who we think are true first round players with first round grades, which is never 32 players. It's always usually in and around 20, sometimes less than that, sometimes a little bit more. So I think what you'll see is that there is some consensus between the three of us, uh, but we'll certainly go through the list and, and kind of see where we are at. I want to start at the top here, and I want to start at the top is, I guess, the betting markets, guys, over the past couple of weeks since the combine have kind of put Aiden Hutchinson on top of the most likely player to be picked first overall. I think some of that is because Cam Robinson got franchised by the Jaguars and he's an offensive tackle for them. To me, if Cam Robinson is going to stop you from picking an offensive tackle, I think your, your evaluation needs to change a little bit, at least in my opinion, when you have a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Um, so let's kind of start there. Who do you guys have as your number one prospect? For me, I still think it's an offensive tackle that's going to go number one, and, and I'll kind of give my spiel why after you guys go. Uh, but, Croc, let's start with you. Who, who is your, like, top guy now? Or if you're picking first and you're the Jaguars, would be your first guy off the board and why? Yeah, so first guy on my board, regardless of who's picking that number one, is Evan Neal out of Alabama. And, and, and my big thing is I try to find, especially in the top ten, top of the draft, like, what traits does this guy have that, I just like you either have this or you don't. And I think, you know, with his size, his ability, just one, just how he looks, right? Like he, when you look at a guy that looks like he's 220 pounds, but he's actually 340 pounds. <laughs> I think that's tremendous. Uh, you know, it's, that's an elite talented type prospect. I think he moves well, all that. There are definitely areas I feel like he can improve on, but just in the sense of the guy I feel more comfortable with taking at number one, especially if I'm the Jaguars is uh, Evan Neal out of Alabama. Tony, what do you think? Well, I mean, you're asking kind of a, cop, a loaded question there. My oh, top of course I am. I'm the host. <laughs> my board is still Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he's the best player in this year's draft. I know we've talked about off the field concerns, stories that I broke. Uh, you know, he, he has a lot of downside risk. But when I look at what this guy can do from an impact defensive point of view, as a pass rusher, as a guy who can play in space, as someone who can bend off the edge and then flatten from the backside and, and catch uh, players in pursuit, uh, the overall game, I, I think you can use him standing over tackle. You can use him out of a three-point stance. I have him rated, higher, uh, slight, uh, rated slightly higher than Aiden Hutchinson. You know, I, you said something about, well, if you're going to make your, your uh, draft decision based on, you know, Cam, uh, Cam Robinson, I'm franchising Cam Robinson, Based uh, considering the way Cam Robinson plays, maybe it's something that I've said all along in, in the sense that there's no true left tackle at the top of this year's draft. Maybe they, you know, they they franchise Cam Robinson because, yeah, while Evan Neal is a real good prospect, there are concerns about him playing the left tackle position. That's why I believe the, that move was made. But when you get right down to it, 
I mean, Kayvon, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau has always been my number one rated player. I don't know that he's going to go number one. Uh, I think it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson the way we where we stand right now, but he's still my top player. So you think right now, Tony, if I made you predict, you think the Jaguars pick Hutchinson one overall? I do. I do because I think it's the safest pick. It's the Jake Long type of pick. If you remember, you go back to that draft, you know, Jake Long was taken first uh, by the Miami Dolphins and then Bill Parcells. Didn't have a great upside, but he was a priority, uh, pr- played a priority position, left tackle, and he was the surest thing. And I think, you know, with all the issues that have gone on in Jacksonville, you know, they want, they, they can't miss on this pick and they can't take a lot of risk. And I think Aiden Hutchinson fits both of those pieces. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my Aiden Hutchinson spiel here. And by the way, folks, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribe to the draft season. Make sure you find us. To me, his combine was fine because it matched, I thought, exactly what we saw on tape, right? I thought, you know, his 40 was, it was good. His 10-yard split was, was, was better than good. It was, it was very solid. It was, it was better than that. But the thing that got me with Hutchinson, and this matched my worry with him on tape, guys, I didn't think his hoop drill was very strong at all, running, that, running those hoops in, in those drills. You know, you're supposed to pick up the towel and then place it down. Well, his second towel, he drops it from like his quad. He doesn't even bend down to put that thing on the ground. And that's the kind of lack of bend for me. And I and I wonder how many of these NFL team teams, and you mentioned Hutchinson's the safe pick. I agree. He's strong. Uh, he tries really hard. He's high character. But between the bend and then on top of that, you know, we talk about arm length for offensive tackles. Well, Let's talk about arm length for Aiden Hutchinson really quick here. He was under 33 inches, right, Tony, if I'm not mistaken, at the combine? I'll tell you in a second. Keep talking. (laughs) Yeah, and so that to me, short arms plus a lack of elite bend, that's something that would make me really think twice about making him the top overall pick. I feel better about the traits from the two offensive tackles for them, even if they're not there yet, to develop into an elite player, then I and same reason why, I, like you, Tony, I think Thibodeau is a higher ceiling. Then I feel about Hutchinson developing into an elite player just because of the arm length and the lack of bend. It looks like it was about thirty-two and an eighth. So yeah, he was yeah. well under. That's uh, short, wow. man. Yeah, that's short. And I agree with what you're saying. I've said all along when you compare him to David Ajabu, his teammate. Ajabu has a lot of features of his game, the, the natural explosion, the suddenness, the natural violence he plays with, the variety of, uh, of his ability to make plays up the field that I believe project better than uh, Hutchinson. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Hutchinson, I agree with you. My big complaint about him was if you watch the film too many times, he buries his head into the uh, offensive tackle, the opposing offensive tackle, and he just barrels up the field. You can do that on Saturday. It's going to be a lot more difficult for him to do that on Sunday. Uh, I do believe he's got the work ethic. He's got the personality. But again, I I mean, you draft Evan Neal after your franchise, uh, Cam Robinson. What are you going to do? You you drafted Evan Neal to play right tackle? Okay. And I just don't know that we'll have to wait and see what his athletic numbers are. But again, you know, look at the type of offensive tackles that Doug Peterson had success with during his tenure at the field with the Philadelphia Eagles, there were more longer guys like Evan Neal's, but very mobile, very athletic, very nimble. Uh, I, I don't know that Evan Neal fits that profile. Yeah, I did want to uh, respond here. I have uh, Kevin Thibodeau as my second guy, and I have him ahead of Aiden Hutchinson as well. And I think, John, like some of the things you, and concerns you kind of brought up about really the tightness and stiffness of the hips, I think that's a real thing. And like Tony said, are you going to be able to just win with a bull rush 
more times than not in the NFL level. I don't know how consistent that's going to be. I actually, and I'm not to be like hot takey or anything like that, but I, I like the upside of a Jabo more than Hutchinson. Like if, if, it, if it were me, I would, I would take a Jabo over him just because I see the freak athleticism. I see the explosiveness off the edge. You know, I see his ability to, you know, really affect the games in different ways. Now, again, if, if I want a guy that is a little bit more well-rounded, I guess you could say, like from being able to defend the run, but maybe not be as explosive off of the edge, then yeah, you'll probably take Hutchinson. And he was extremely uh, productive as well. But Ajabo, when I watched him, again, I was watching uh, Vincent, Vincent Gray, the cornerback out of Michigan, and it, it was the, the Ajabo show. <laughs> and and I thought Hutchinson did a good job. He like he made a couple of plays. He had a sack in that game, but it just looked different when the job was on. I mean, he was giving moves. I mean, he he's bending off the edge. He's exploding like dang near touching the ground, exploding out. I mean, he gave the offensive lineman this wicked spin move. I thought his pursuit were some of the more like more impressive plays, and and that's saying a lot. They tried to throw a screen on him. And he got to the quarterback before he can get the screen pass off when the quarterback sees him because he's just that explosive with closing that space. So I was just very impressed with the high upside of what Ajabo has. So I, the the concerns there with Thibodeau, I I, I get I, I mean not Thibodeau, excuse me, with Hutchinson, I do think he's going to be a terrific football player, a terrific prospect, and I'd expect him too to potentially go number one, but just probably wouldn't be the guy I'd take. Yeah, look, I'm with you guys 100%. Um, all right, so we talked about some guys already. So I'm, I'm going to keep a little tally here just so we're all on the same page. We'll have our consensus first-round guys, and then I'm sure each one of us will have some guys on the list uh, that the others don't. So we have Evan Neal, obviously. Uh, Iki Aquanu, we all have in our as true first-round picks. Aiden Hutchinson, who we talked about. Kayvon Thibodeau, who we talked about. And now David Ajabo, who I think all of us do as well. Uh, Tony, let me ask you this, though, about Ajabo before we move on, because I don't think we'd spend a lot of time with him talking about the combine last week. And he had a pretty good combine. We just, you know, he kind of got lost in the mix a little bit. How much do you think NFL teams are thinking about the fact that he's only really done it for a year and not just done it for a year, played for a year and and the fact that he really didn't play a, a ton of football growing up either? How do you think NFL teams are weighing that in their evaluation of Ojabo? Has to be a concern, without a doubt. You know, is he a one-year wonder, or was last year? It was last year the exception to the rule, or is that the way it's going to be moving forward? And it's going to be building on that. Now, the thing about it is that whole Michigan defense really took a step up when they got that new defensive coordinator, who's now with the Baltimore Ravens. So, I, I mean, it has to be a consideration. I, I mean, is this guy? Is it one and done for him? Uh, but again, you look at the underlying skills, you look at the athleticism, which was proven during his combine workout. You look at the things he was able to do that Hutchinson isn't able to do. As Eric said, the bend off the edge, the speed and space, the ability to change direction. As I said, he just plays with a natural violence. So I think you have to look at it. He may need more coaching. He may need more handholding than Aiden Hutchinson. He is not as NFL ready as Aiden Hutchinson, but with Aiden Hutchinson, you're going to get a lot of singles with David Ajabu. You could be, you're going to be hitting some home runs and some grand slams. If you properly develop him. The other edge rusher we all have in our, you know, first round selections here is Jermaine Johnson, who, you know, couldn't get on the field at Georgia because frankly, they have a million guys that are awesome. Goes to Florida state and it has a very productive year. Uh, you know, for me, 
I think it's interesting, the Jermaine Johnson, Trevon Walker argument. I know we talked about both these guys last week, but I have a hard time picking Trevon Walker over Jermaine Johnson. If, if I'm a general manager, I'm looking for a pure edge rusher here. Just because, you know, and Croc, we'll start with you. I've seen Jermaine Johnson do it. Like, I've seen him line up on the edge, go and win. And, and while Walker's athletic numbers maybe were a little bit better, and, you know, he did show some really good things on tape. Tony talked about it last week, you know, things with pursuit, coverage, things like that. If I'm looking for a pass rusher, I would have a hard time selling. I prefer to pick Trayvon Walker over Jermaine Johnson just because he doesn't have that production in, in that area while Jermaine Johnson does in a pretty big program. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, the production and how, you know, what his usage was at Georgia, kind of playing a little bit more, almost like an inside type rusher, kind of, and maybe doing a little bit more uh, containment type stuff as opposed to just, hey, rush off the edge, get to the quarterback. And you got to see that by Jermaine Johnson. I think that the, the thing that has helped me the most with Jermaine Johnson is really, I mean, the senior bowl week and seeing it live and in person and just the dominance and how he carried himself and the confidence and winning the one-on-one -on -one reps and really just kind of going out there and looking like the best defensive player on the field. And then just the physique, what he looked like there, going through his drills, how loose he was and how fluid he was. And having my buddy who's a defensive line guy, uh, he trains a lot of defensive linemen, guys like, um, you know, Boye Mafe. Right. And so we're watching the guys and he's looking at Jermaine Johnson. He's like, crock, man, that, that, that guy right there, he, he's different. And he's talking about his build. He talked about everything. Then you see him do the drills and everything he was saying was spot on the bottom. So uh, I think he's just continued to kind of move up. And then once you see how well he tested, it was like, OK, well, this is a no brainer that this guy should be one of the top edge guys going out. But again, uh, you know, the question is going to be, should he be taking over Walker? there's a little bit more projection with Walker just based on his usage at Georgia. And again, that's not to say that he can't do more or be more, but you just got to project it a little bit. See, I, I disagree with you, John. And here's why. Because Trayvon Walker did things at Georgia and did them well that a lot of college defensive linemen aren't asked to do. Drop off the line and play in space and coverage. Get out and chase in pursuit. You know, uh, protect, you know, gap responsibilities. Set the yeah, edge. Things like that. It's much easier for a guy to pin his ears back, rush up the field, exploit offensive tackles that are not as athletic as him, as opposed to say, do those little things that Trayvon Walker did in big spots for Georgia. Good point. It's going to be it's going to be much easier to teach Trayvon Walker with his athleticism, with his size, with his growth potential to rush the passer than it is to say have cheats Jermaine Johnson to play off the line of scrimmage and to play in space. Uh, that's why I think that uh, Johnson uh, Walker moves towards the NFL, you know, ahead of the curve because of those things he did so well on the college field that a lot of players on a college field aren't asked to do on Saturday, but they're going to have to do on Sunday. No, I agree with that, Tony. I think if you're looking for the more well-rounded player, I think Walker is your guy. But if I'm picking an edge guy in the top 15, okay, great. You can go and cover. All right, that's awesome. I'm fine. I want you to get that quarterback, right? That's why I'm picking you. I want you yeah. to bend that edge. I want you to beat that tackle one-on-one. -on -one. I want you to get that quarterback. That's why I'm picking you. I don't care about the five times I'm going to drop you in coverage every you know two weeks or whatever. I want the guy that can bend that edge and go get the quarterback on third and long. Yeah, but the NFL coaches do. Because Trayvon really Walker do. wasn't NFL, Trayvon Walker wasn't a bad you – know, it's not like – he couldn't rush the passer coming. Of course in. not. No, I got you. He was a good pass rusher. He just wasn't asked to do it as much. Now, you know, if Trayvon Walker 
was asked to rush the passer as many times as Jermaine Johnson or, you know, 75% of the times, and he wasn't getting to the quarterback. I think, you know, you can make that argument. But I, I look at Walker, I, I mean, what, what was he got? 6'5", 272 pounds with all that athleticism. He's probably going to end up as a 285-pound defensive end uh, in the NFL that can play in a four-man front. You could probably use him as a, a two-gap uh, defensive end. Uh, and you could use him in a variety of roles. I like Jermaine Johnson. I do think he's got some uh, growth limitations for the next level. He doesn't have the same growth potential as Trayvon Walker. I just think that the sky is the limit for Trayvon Walker, not just as a pass rusher, but as a complete defender. And he's only going to get better as he physically matures and gets bigger. Remember, Jermaine Johnson's a fifth-year senior. Good point, too. Trayvon Walker is a third-year junior, so he's, what, two years younger? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Good point. All right, the only other edge rusher I got guys have with the, with with the true first round grade on my list is George Karloftis. I have him outside of the top ten. Tony, you have the same. How about you, Croc? You have any other edge rushers with with true first round grades? No, I don't. I don't have Karloftis on there, and I know a lot of people really like him, and I think he has a good first step. But I I don't know if he's going to be better suited for a three four or uh, you know be a three four in. Or a pure 4-3 edge, and it's like, well, we want him as a containment guy, almost kind of like how the 49ers used Eric Armstead for a lot of years, that big elephant in to kind of uh, hold the anchor on that edge. But I, I don't know. I, watching the other guys and how they get after the quarterback and how fluid they look and how let they look, and then watching Carl Loftus, it just looks a little uh, not as dynamic, and I'm curious to see how the NFL teams feel about it in the sense of you know him 100% being – a guy taking ahead of either one of these guys that we just mentioned, the other, uh, we just mentioned five guys. I don't know if he's going to be taken more than it, over any of them. And if not, like, I, I don't know how you kind of fit him and he's 100% a first round guy. Look, I agree with you. I, I haven't passed all the guys that we just talked about, too. So I think, you know, we'll see how heavy a, a, of an edge class this ends up being. We're already talking about two offensive linemen. So why don't we wipe the rest of that position out here? Um, I think all of us have Charles Cross as first-round picks, correct, guys? And we talked about him yep. last week. So I don't think we need to do more on Charles Cross. Um, I got Penning inside my top 15 um, or, or for, for true first-round grades. Uh, Tony, you do as well. Croc, uh, does Penning, and I'll even throw Linderbaum out to you too, or, or any other of the interior guys, any of those guys for you crack into your true first-round grades? Yeah, Penning, Penning does for sure. I, I love Penning, and I wish I would have seen him. And, you know, there were some – I don't want to say like ups and downs at the senior bowl, but you know, there was some reps he lost, but I thought he won a lot, but just watching him on film and the first film I put on, I was like, man, this guy, like he is as nasty as everybody says. And I thought whether it was in a versus run, whether it was in a passing game, it, that it didn't go like he didn't hit flip that switch on and off. It was always on. So then, okay, I'm watching you against some, you know, MCS like lower level guys, but what do you look like against the best team that you could play against? And so I put on the Iowa state film and I thought he was just as dominant against them maybe even more dominant where he felt like he had something to prove against higher level competition. And I was like, okay, this guy, he's got, he's got the good. So Trevor Penning, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, I talk about this being a deep offensive tackle class. If someone were to take him in the top 10 or, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Now I think he's more of a top 15 guy, but I mean, he showed a lot of really good things. And for how big he is, I thought he moved well. He's just at like six, seven, 335 pounds. But I didn't see a guy that struggled to match quickness. Again, didn't consistently see him play against uh, the level of competition like some of these other guys had to face, you know, with Evan Neal, you know, being at Alabama or, you know, even Charles Cross uh, or, you know, Equinu. But 
it was it was tremendous from what I saw, and that's all I could go off of. Yeah, you, that Iowa State film was very important for uh, Penning because you know everybody saw him, you know, trying to bury the opponent into the ground at the senior bowl, probably to a fault, as though he was trying to make a point. But you watch the Iowa State film; he was very patient, he was very methodical, he didn't have mental lapses, but he also dominated the competition. And they've got some real good defensive linemen and pass rushers at, at Iowa State. So I, I mentioned this last week in another interview. The, the Iowa State film shows shows showed me anyway that. When he's got to tone it down, uh, he can tone it down. You know, it's not like every play was – he doesn't play every play as he did during the week of senior ball practices when I think he was trying to make a point. Um, that Iowa State film, anybody anybody who's interested in Trevor Penning, go back and watch it because it was good. And just watch the control he plays with. You know, it's funny. I, I went back and I watched all his losses during the year, right? Every sack he gave up, every quarterback hit he gave up, he did not lose – off the edge to Crocs point once all his losses were either, believe it or not, bull rush. He got bull rushed a couple times. And then he actually had trouble handling, uh, ET twists where his end would come down, pick the guard and then the tackle will come around. He had trouble picking some of those up, but I think that's something you can learn with, with coaching in, in, in the NFL. And I thought, and again, the competition, not the best, but the fact he was not losing at that size off the edge to quickness and speed. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty important. And I have Linderbaum now as a first round pick. Tony does not. And I think we can talk about that. Croc, why don't you lead us off? How about where do you sit on Linderbaum or maybe one of these other interior guys whether it's Zion Johnson, who came really close to my, really close. I really thought about putting Zion on there. I didn't. And then, of course, you have um, the uh, Kenyon Green. Texas A&M as well. Yeah, so Kenyon Green, he's a guy I really like. And again, uh, part of it is just kind of like having that versatility and being able to move around a little bit. You know, you know I've, I've talked about before. I, I put on three games, and I, I watched him the first game at left tackle. The second game I go to, I don't see him. At, I don't see him. At left tackle. So I turned that game off. I go to another game. I don't see him at left tackle. Well, I went back to the other games. Well, he's on the field. He's just playing different positions. He played right tackle. He played guard. And I think he's going to be really good as a guard. So that's a guy with just that type of versatility. And we've seen it in the NFL. Sometimes, you know, having to move to a different position in a pinch, still be able to play well. I think the, the guard position isn't valued as high as tackle unless you're like, you know, Quentin Nelson and you end up being a top 10 pick. But a guy that, okay, yeah, you are a guard, but you can also really play tackle if need be. Not, We're not going to start you out there, but if need be, you can play there. I like that versatility. I think that gives them added value. So I have Kenyon Green as a first-round pick. And to Tony, give me the argument against Linderbaum. I think we talked about this before. The short arms, I think, uh, you know, we kind of saw that coming. Um, but though they were very 31 and change at the combine, which is a problem. And you throw in the weighty, you know, trouble against big power from those tackles. So I wonder how far down, you know, is there going to be a team that he fits picking high enough to get him in, in the teens area? Well, it's going to be his own blocking uh, right. team or a team that, you know, because he needs a running start into his, his blocks, especially his run blocks. He's very good on his feet. He's very good on the second level. He can slide in space, but you pointed it out. It's not just the short arms. It's the short arms plus the fact that, you know, he's not a dominant mauler. He's not a guy that pushes opponents off the line of scrimmage run blocking. What, how, how, are you, how is he going to handle the Jordan Davises of the world? The guys that are 340 pounds are incredibly powerful, incredibly athletic. Once they get into his body, you can't keep him away because of the short arms. He doesn't have the dominant strength. 
I like Lindebaum. I think the big problem with Lindebaum is, and I said this all along, people were overrating him from the get-go. I mean, here in New York, people were talking about him potentially with the Jets, one of the Jets first week, one of the Jets. He was never that type of lineman to begin with. I do think he could go bottom half of round one. I don't think he's going to go in the teens. I think he goes in the 20s for a team that wants, you know, a good zone blocking center. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good pro. It just means that I believe, you know, like Kenyon Green, who I like a lot, Kenyon Green is more of a power gap blocker, where I think Linderbaum is solely his own blocker. Interesting. And I guess my reasons for leaving Zion off, I think he's an extremely safe pick, right? I think if you draft Zion Johnson, you feel good you're getting a 10-year starter. And you're going to feel great about that. I'm just not sure how many, you know, all pro and pro bowl selections he might get. I think, you know, maybe his ceiling is, is a little bit limited, but I, I would feel very safe if I'm picking somewhere in the late teens or twenties. And I want to feel good about getting a really good player in this draft. I pick Zion Johnson and I feel really, really safe about that. Yeah. And, and he's, he's got the versatility. You know, Eric yep. was talking about uh, Kenyon green. I mean, Zion Johnson is a guy who's a very good left tackle at Boston College. He doesn't project to left tackle in the NFL, but you know what? If your left tackle goes down with an injury and you need a guy to slide out there, you know, for a short period of time, you could use Zion Johnson out there. Was a real good guard, played some center, so he's got that position versatility. I agree with you. He's solid. I think he's NFL ready. I also like the scheme versatility. I think he's the type of guy you could use him in his own blocking scheme, put him in motion. Also think he's got enough strength and uh, size and power to be used as a, uh, as a power blocker uh, in a power scheme. So I like his scheme versatility. He just doesn't wow you. You know, the, the guy, with the offensive tackles we talked about, you know, just basically just wow you in certain, uh, in certain areas. Zion Johnson's not like that. He's very steady, very consistent, very productive, and also durable. No question about it. All right, let's, uh, let's do DBs quick. We talked about a lot of these guys last week, so we won't spend a ton of time on it. We all have Kyle Hamilton. I know people are like, well, the way Tony talks about Kyle Hamilton, yeah, Kyle Hamilton is still pretty high on Tony's board, even though he has some worries about him. Uh, both um, Eric and I have him as a uh, consensus to first-round picks as well. Uh, and I believe all of us have Stingley. All of us have Soft Gar- Sauce Gardner in there. That's it from Tony and I in terms of defensive backs. Croc. What other DBs do you have in is there as guys that would be surefire first round picks for you? No, I think a guy like, uh, you know, one Andrew Booth and we'll see if he'll be surefire. Obviously you're going to have to wait till he tests and kind of yeah. see that. But, uh, uh, I'm not blanking on that. Kyrie Elam, you know, a guy who went in there. I thought he won. You just, everybody wants to talk about 40 yard dashes, which is terrific. They run sub ran sub four, four, but he has the size. And I just think the way he moves, he moves extremely well for whatever reason. After watching his film, a lot of people kind of question about they question his speed. I didn't have any questions with his speed. I thought he was uh, terrific at the line of scrimmage. He was fairly patient. He put on the Alabama game, and I like to watch teams against the best opponent. He was terrific in that game as well. Uh, looked good against James Jameson Williams, who I think the world of with Jameson Williams just his dynamic ability and being able to make cornerbacks uncomfortable, but. Elam never felt uncomfortable. And if you could play like that against him, I feel like you could do that against anyone. Maybe you have to be a little bit more consistent. But I think he's one of the more underrated defensive backs in this class. And I, I think when you combine the size, the speed, the fluidity, all those things, I think he kind of projects out as a first-round pick. For me. Yeah, I would agree. I like Elam. I just don't have him as a surefire first round. I think he's underrated. Obviously, I think the problem with Elam was 
teams didn't throw in his direction. I mean, because he was so good, they purposely stayed away from him. Sometimes, you know, that's a little bit difficult to uh, to really scout a guy like that, uh, especially when you have things like the senior bowl, where there are those one-on-ones. You, you look at the uh, combine workout, you look at the pro days, where it's basically he's uh, he's basically doing drills against, uh, you know, against no one. Uh, I really wanted to put Roger McCreary as a solid first round pick. I think his ball skills are incredible. I think he's got, he's got great instincts. He's a smart and fluid corner. But when I looked at the computer numbers, I said the size, the speed, everything and everything else. I said, this just not project as a solid, you know, definite should receive a first round pick. I still think Roger McCreary is going to go in the first round. And I think he's going to be a real good corner at the next level. But as far as solid first rounders, as much as it pained me, I could not put a first round grade on. You were right on about Andrew Booth. I mean, there were some concerns about Andrew Booth's 40 time. Uh, and that's going to bear watching during Clemson Pro Day in a week or two. You know, I, I love that you still brought up Roger McCrary because that's a guy who on film, he's first round. But, you know, there will be kind of questions about the arm length. Some teams will cross him off the board immediately because, you know, let alone not being 32-inch arm length, he's under 29, right? That's not ideal for teams that are looking for a corner. And then it's like, well, maybe you can overcome some of that if you run a good 40-yard dash time, but he went out there and ran four or five, five. So he doesn't have the length, doesn't really have the size. And then on paper, the film doesn't quite match up. And I think we can potentially see a situation almost like uh, Damon Arnett at Ohio State, who, same thing, I thought on film, hey, everything looks really good, but then the testing numbers didn't quite align, and then you see some struggles with him at the NFL level. His struggles might not be because of on-field. It might be off-field. He had a whole lot going on there, uh, where I don't even know if we'll see him playing in the NFL again. But uh, Marjorie McCrary, again, put on any film. He was extremely competitive, guarding guys at all levels, very versatile being able to play outside and inside as well. A lot to like around Bob McCray. I want him to be a first-round pick, but that 40-yard dash, teams, I think they're going to kind of value that with the short arms. Did right, a well, real good job against Jamison Williams in that Alabama-Auburn oh. Did a real good job against Williams. No matter where he lined up, inside, outside, running with guys on slot phase, breaking up passes, felt like he was targeted about 12 times in that game. And he, he gave up some plays here and there because they played so much, man. But if you just want to go off of – ability and what a guy's able to put on film, it doesn't get much better than what he did against Alabama and Jameson Williams and John Mechie. Nothing makes me happier than to see Eric talk about Roger McCreary. He gets a glint in his eye. He's big smile. <laughs> He's his guy. I love it. All right. Uh, let's, let's finish off the defensive side of the ball. I didn't mention Jordan Davis when we talk about defensive linemen. I think all three of us have him in our obviously consensus first round picks, uh, given his, his film work and what he did at the combine. Let's go to linebacker. And Tony, you have two guys as surefire first-round picks, Devin Lloyd and the Kobe Dean. I got to be honest, Devin Lloyd was like my first guy off as consensus first-round picks. And for Dean, he didn't test yet. I think that's going to be very important with him given his size. But 220 pounds, uh, surefire, I don't know, man, for surefire first-round at 220, he looks like a strong safety to me. Well, I, I think he was a little bit heavier at, uh, I think it was, was it close to, Closer to 229 to combine, but still, and that, was, listen, that was after drinking what like six gallons yeah, of water. Oh, that's God. what they do. Yeah. Although, although, <laughs> although they have to, uh, they have, they got to weigh in the same day that they work out now. I mean, that, that was the old trick, they would weigh in, yeah, two days before they worked out, so they would fill up on water, you know, get rid of it the next couple of days, and then they were down to their natural weights, uh, workout. Um, as far as Dean's concerned, 
I could understand it, but I look at the explosion. I look at the force. I look he's a missile, man. He's a missile. I look at the way he plays all that. Honestly, I, you absolutely have to wait for the, uh, the the workouts. There are some questions about a potential shoulder injury, which, you know, I got to keep your ear to the ground on about that moving forward. Uh, but, but you know, he was a good – he's been a good player the past couple of years, and he's shown consistent development in his game. As far as Devin Lloyd's concerned, yeah, okay, he, he ran a solid time in the four six sixes. Uh, at the combine, but he's been a good player for three years now. In my opinion, he's a three down defender. You can use him in space. You can use him in pursuit. You can use him in coverage. He shows the ability to fly up the field. I've said all along, Devin Lloyd is going to be one of those guys that I believe is underdrafted. He's going to go late teens in the twenties. And then two or three years down the road, people are going to be saying, wow, we passed up on this guy at number 12 or number 15 and look at the type of player he is now. Do you have either of those two linebackers, Croc, as surefire first-rounders for you? Yeah, I put both guys in there. And I just think they, you know, check all the boxes from an ability standpoint. Guys that can definitely turn around. I would have liked to see Dean kind of perform at the combine, see if, with, if the, the, you know, measurables and everything match up what we saw on film. But if you just go off of pure film and how he was able to close space and run sideline to sideline, I didn't think that would be an issue. Yeah, look, he, he gets downfield. You're right. He shoots gaps. He does a great job with that. And both those guys are in, like, my top 22. They literally, like, just missed that, that, that you know, surefire first-round look. Um, all right. Anybody else on defense, guys, before I move on that I missed from either of your lists that you think is a surefire first-rounder? Croc, what do you got? Daxon Hill. Did you bring him up? I did not. Go ahead. Make, no, make I mean, case. Again, more versatility, and I like that when it comes to the, the secondary guys. Now, what is he? Is he a safety? Is he a nickel? Can he potentially play outside? I didn't see it, but maybe somebody might think he can. But when you test as well as he did, and you're as physical as he was, and you know you have that versatility, you can play in the slot. That's one of the harder positions on the field. I thought he looked comfortable at home, being able to run at guys again. I, I definitely judge I don't want to say judge, but I'm looking. Can you run with those slot fades? Because in the NFL, once the team goes single high, they're going to be looking to hit those slot fades. And I thought he covered that extremely well. Uh, aggressive tackler. Uh, you know, can he be more of a two-high safety, a single-high safety? I think you can coach that up and has all the ability to cover a lot of range. So he's a guy I think has tremendous upside, whether he's at safety or playing maybe around the line of scrimmage at a nickel position. Very good. I mean, I don't, I don't have him as a first rounder, but you know, the versatility is key, and he had a great, uh, or he ran incredibly fast at the combine, so I could see yeah. the attraction. Yeah, he almost plays. He almost play that star role on defense, right? Put him in a lot of different areas and let him uh, do some different stuff. All right, let's finish it off on offense with a couple of the skill positions here. Uh, none of us, I don't believe, have any running backs or tight ends correct as surefire ones. Nope, mm -hmm. we do not. So let's look at quarterback. I do not have anybody in there. But, Tony, you have Malik Willis, which I yeah. found interesting. Well, I, I mean, I, I think he is a first-round prospect. I, I not only think that uh, he's going to go in the first round, I think he deserves to go in the first round because of the fact that, you know, he was real good as a senior. He, had, he, had a, he showed some incredible flashes at the senior ball, and then he showed those same flashes at, at the uh, combine. He's an athletic guy with a big arm who – He's sort of like the, I don't want to say Kevin, but he's sort of like the David Ajabu of the quarterback position in the sense that he's got all the physical skills. He's shown dominance. As I've said time and time again, he makes some wow throws that you're like, wow, those are incredible. Then he makes some head scratching throws with any quarterback. It's going to be a matter of proper coaching, 
and development of, of Malik Wells. I think with Malik Wells, it's a little bit more because of the level of uh, competition he played at, because of the fact that he's got to learn to become a passer rather than a thrower. He's got to learn to play under center. But again, I, I mean, like Ajabu, like I said, if you coach him correctly, you know, you're going to be hitting a lot of home runs and a lot of grand slams with Malik Wills. The problem is the position. And it's very tough, you know, to develop a guy at that position. And we've seen more misses than hits. But I like Malik, Malik Wills. I always like to get a quarterback when he's headed in the right direction, when he's coming off a good season, as opposed to, say, a guy who didn't live up to expectations. And then you got to kind of you got to reverse that trend. Uh, I, I think Malik Willis is absolutely worth the uh, uh, for is absolutely worthy of being a first round prospect. How about you, Croc? Your thoughts? Any quarterbacks in there for you? Anyone come close? He's the guy I like. You know, I, t- I came on here talking about how I like upside. I like traits. I like all those things. I kind of weigh more heavily toward that as opposed to maybe the safer guy. But uh, if there is one guy I could see going first round, it would be it would be Malik Willis. Now I don't personally have a first round grade on him, but. You know, he is a guy I do project to go first round, and he would be the first quarterback taken if I'm a team in need of a quarterback. Not me too. I'm just, I'm, I'm with Croc, though. I think that's more of like a very end of the first round, try to get that fifth year option on him type of move than be like a, a, a top 20 guy, you know? Hey, here, here's the thing. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I know we're not talking about the free agency. No, go ahead, yet, please. Go ahead. But they, they, they just signed Mitchell Trubisky to a two-year contract. What could that potentially do? Yep. Make it to where, hey, I can go and get Malik Willis. He doesn't have to play right now. Okay, Mitchell Trubisky, Great you're a point. veteran. You're going to be all offseason OTAs, free, you know, uh, training camp, all that good stuff. And you can let the Malik Willis, you know, progression happen a little bit more organically and then play him whenever he's ready. So uh, we'll see if that's what they end up doing. But I think they've set themselves up to not have to force anything with Malik Willis there. That is that is, in fact, their plan. I reported at the combine that they were looking at uh, three uh, under, uh, three free agent quarterbacks, Mitch Trubisky being number one on the list, and then with the hopes of drafting Malik Willis so they don't have to play uh, Malik Willis year one. And they wanted a guy that had more mobility than Ben Roethlisberger, which both Trubisky and Willis do. So that's been their game plan all along. The question is now, you know, do they have to maneuver up a few spots to get uh, Malik Willis? You know, they got the New Orleans Saints sitting in front of them. What do the Saints sign a, a quarterback in free agency? Do they get Deshaun Watson in trade? So, but that has been the, the Steelers' plan from the get-go. I reported that from the combine. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna cover all that stuff next week. It's gonna be great. We'll probably record maybe next Tuesday. We'll we'll put push it back a little bit to get as much free agency stuff. Uh, on the books as possible. We'll see how that impacts the draft. And we also got a bunch of questions, by the way, from fans. I was going to hit them in this episode, but we still got to do receivers. So we'll push those to next week. We'll do that with the free agency stuff and how it impacts the draft. And that'll be next week's show. So let's wrap it up here, guys, and go wide receivers here. Um, This is an interesting class. All of us have Garrett Wilson in there as as a surefire first rounder. We talked about him, really good 40 time last week at 4-3-8. You know, one guy that Tony and I both have uh, in our surefire first round list for both of us right towards the end of that list is Drake London out of USC. Croc, I lost your list here. Do you have Drake London as a surefire one for you? I don't have him as a surefire one just because I, I got to see how he runs because I think those are the biggest question marks. No, that's uh, fair. You know, even if he doesn't run extremely well in the 40-yard dash, whatever, but how's your three cone um, and the change of direction? And if that checks off, well, then... Awesome. I do think he moves well. You know, they threw everybody talks about the contested catch element to his game. You know, he's measured in at just shy of six foot four, 
around 220 pounds. So it's kind of like Kenny, Kenny Galladay clone down there. But uh, they threw a ton of screens to him. So he was able to show off that elusiveness and kind of a little, a little enough short area quickness for somebody as long as he is uh, to not super, you know, really question it. But yeah, that, that I need to see the three comb and see how that transition of his movement skills translates to the NFL. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I mean, you, you got big receiver syndrome. <laughs> I mean, and we've seen <laughs> the Hakeem Butlers, the Alan Lazards. I mean, all these guys who year after year look like they're, they're they can't be stopped on the college field. And Drake uh, London could not be stopped at USC. I mean, the, if you look at the number of passes that went his direction and, you could, and the number of catches he threw compared to the number of completions uh, from the USC quarterback, he was catching 50 to 60% of the balls each week and the defense couldn't stop him. A lot of it was because of the, the uh, screens, but yeah, it's the, uh, it, it's the three call times to shuttle. It's the 10 split. That's why Cooper cup was so good. Cause he had such a good 10 split. You're able to beat the opponent off the line. And it's the fact that, you know, what type of offense do you run? I, I, I mean, he's only going to be, he's a scheme specific player. You know, you're not really going to use him in a timing sort of offense. Uh, I have him as a first rounder, but I have him at the bottom end of my, uh, of my uh, surefire first round grades. You know, and I think the other thing too, that jumped out of me, just seeing him in person and on tape, I just didn't recognize this looking at the all 22. He is slender, man. Like, you know, there are some of these big wide receivers that are thick and they can win with their strength and contested catches. I wonder when he gets to against stronger, more physical defensive backs in the NFL, you know, he, he's built like a basketball player, which is not surprising. He played basketball at USC, where I wonder how that contested catch in his style is going to work against more physical, stronger NFL defensive backs. Well, he, he, he measured in, at least on paper at USC, around 210. And then at the combine, he was 220. So I don't know if that is that extra 10 pounds of muscle or is that an extra 10 pounds of I broke my ankle and I haven't been able to do a whole lot of running. So right. I think him weighing in at USC's pro day, we'll see what he measures in that there. Has he gotten stronger? What is that bench press like? You know, all those type of things to see if maybe he just added that extra strength that you're looking for. But yeah, naturally, he is more of a slender built type receiver. Yeah. And he's very fluid. He's very natural in his movements. He's yep. a natural hand catcher. You know, he's smooth. Uh, he finds ways to separate, which is why I put him as a first rounder when usually that sort of guy I would push a little bit further down, as I'm sure another receiver you're about to talk about. Yeah, that and I guess Jameson Williams is, is where I'll go next. Oh. Um, I don't think that's who you're talking about, but that oh. is a guy, that, but he's on all three of our lists. So oh. he's a consensus guy. And I just think it says a lot that a guy that's coming off of an ACL, his film was so good and he's so fast and so explosive that he made all of our surefire first rounds. And maybe I'm breaking the rules because I'm not sure he's going to be a, a top 20 pick because of the ACL. But if I'm a GM and I see how that dude ran, I'm sorry. Uh, he's so impressive, and he just looks different than all the other wide receivers when you watch him. Uh, to me, he's special, and, and that skill is special. Like He looks better than Ruggs did a couple years ago, right? I think he looks more explosive than Henry Ruggs did on tape. So uh, I think Jamison Williams, whoever drafts him, whenever he gets back, is going to get a pretty special player. And you got to remember, I mean – the way ACLs are treated these days, the recovery period, the rehabilitation is a lot more advanced than it was 10 years ago. And it was a heck of a lot more advanced than it was 20 years ago. So, you know, medical advancement, medical development has made returning from that sort of injury 
you know, a lot quicker. The question is, was it a clean tear? Was it a jagged tear? Which uh, plays a lot into it. But uh, I think ACLs where it was guaranteed, you know, a year on the sidelines in the past, not so much these days. So it's not going to be ready for the beginning of the season. That's for sure. But you may be able to see him play October, November and, and contribute uh, uh, the second half of the season for whatever team drafts him. Yeah, I, I love Jameson Williams. There are some people that have, you know, some question marks about certain elements of his game, even outside of the torn ACL. But when you see a guy that's that fluid, that natural, that, you know, hands catcher, does all these things, can line up inside, outside. Uh, again, I really look at, you know, how do you threaten corners? Matter of fact, talk about him against the Cincinnati DBs. And there are a lot of people that will say, oh, man, like, those Cincinnati corners, they, man, they, Jameson Williams didn't do much against them. But if you look at how they had those corners playing, to me, that says, that shows a lot of respect for Jameson Williams. Yeah, those guys playing primarily a lot of zone, cover two, kind of flats type stuff. Not a whole lot of, hey, you got to go match up with Jameson Williams and run wherever he runs. You didn't see a ton of that. So uh, I think he's a tremendous receiver. It, you know, if not for the ACL, I think he'd be the first receiver taken off the board. I'm curious to see where he goes because of the ACL, ACL injury. And if a team says, you know what, you know, by the time the season starts, he'll dang near be nine months removed from the ACL injury and ready to go. All right, Tony, you're the wide receiver. That's it. My, my list is done. We've hit all my guys. So, Tony, you have a wide receiver that you had on that I don't, that I know you love. Oh, that, that would be Chris Olave, Ohio State. And again, you know, maybe I'm just thinking with my heart here and not my head. Uh, but the fact is, is, this is, he was a dominant player in 2020. He's an explosive guy. I think part of the disappointment this year was a change of quarterback. C.J. Stroud took a while, uh, you know, to get it going. I was at Ohio State games this year. I saw when Chris Olave was four yards behind the defensive backs, the cornerbacks, guys like Mikkel Wright. Of, uh, of Oregon, who a lot of people like, and the quarterback just never looked his way. And then he goes and he runs in the four threes at the uh, combine. He's a tall guy. He's a legitimate vertical receiver. He, run, he separates through his routes, a little bit wiry, not a guy that's going to you know, win out in battles. But I think uh, his polished skill plus his speed, uh, to me, over the course of time, uh, just override any uh, not meeting of expectations uh, which uh, occurred last year for last season, I should say, for uh, Chris Olave. Uh, I think a team, you know, when you look at the top receivers in this draft, whether it be Garrett Wilson, whether it be James Willis, Willis, uh, James uh, Williams, Traylon Burks, Drake London, whoever it is, there's not a lot of true vertical threats. And I think Olave is a true vertical threat of the top receiver class. Hey, I, I have a question for you, Tony. You know, just kind of watching him because it is a guy who's like, more smooth than like super setting, but there's a lot of things extremely well. And like you said, it's a true deep threat. And I think for this receiving class as well, as, as fast as everyone was, a lot of times when you watch them, the first thing that doesn't come to your mind is, oh, he's a burner. He's a 4-2 guy. So I think that's a compliment to a lot of these guys. They are pure, legit receivers that just yeah. happen to be really fast as well. Is there one person that you can think of maybe at the next level that Chris Olave reminds you of? Because he is like smooth, he, he just wins over the top vertically, but he's not like he doesn't come off as super kind of like twitched up, but he just does everything so well. And I'm I've struggled to kind of like just come up with not saying he's exactly like this person, but someone that he just truly reminds me of. Yeah, I, I you know, to be honest with you, I don't I don't watch the NFL as much as I should because I, I spend so much time watching college films, so I hate doing comparisons. I don't want to yeah. say Sean Jackson, 
but he's mm-hmm. got that type of runaway ability. I, I mean, he's got that type of speed where he can run away from opponents and, and leave them in dust literally four or five yards off the line of scrimmage. I can see that. I can see that. That's good. All right, Croc, who, who do you have on your list that maybe we missed and didn't talk about so far? No, that's every, I only have three receivers. Right. Am I, am I like for sure? Now, again, I really like Trey Burks, and I don't want to knock him all the way down or knock him out. I do believe that he'll be a first round pick, but I don't think it's for sure. And then another guy, I'm kind of, he's kind of creeping up there. Christian Watson out of North Dakota state. When you have a guy that's that big, that fast, that athletic, and you know, went to the combine. I mean, the senior bowl. Okay. I'm the best guy at the senior bowl of all these receivers here. Uh, goes to the pro day test well off the charts. You know, there's a lot to like about him. So not sure. I mean, if I feel like if he went to a power five school, we 100% and he did the same stuff. We'd be saying, yeah, that's, that's 100% of first round, a day one guy. But I think because of North Dakota state thing, he could potentially still go first round. I like him later in the round until like, maybe like Tennessee who could be looking to add a receiver to what they have. But uh, yeah, those are two guys I have right there on the cusp. All right, I, think Watson, I think with Watson, Watson also had an injury last year, which, which kind of slowed him down. I think what Watson is, unlike Alave, Watson doesn't play as fast as he times. Watson plays more like a 4-5 guy rather than a low 4-3 guy. So I think with Watson, you know, it's a matter of getting him to play to that time that he ran in shorts and a T-shirt. Should be able to do it, but he's an outstanding uh, pass catcher. no doubt about it. Watch the film in the past couple of years. He played spring ball. Uh, in 2021, he was real good there. So he, he's got the film to back up the pass catching skills. Yeah, I thought the I senior think the bowl, speed at the, the senior the bowl too. Would, he was a really natural pass catcher too, Croc. He was fantastic yeah. in, in Mobile. Yeah, I, I think when, when it comes to him with the speed, is when when you see the ball in his hands. That's when I'm like, okay, this guy's moving at a different speed than everyone else. But then I thought maybe it was just well, you're playing in the FCS. Maybe you know everybody's just not as talented or whatever. Obviously, still really good football players here. But then when he goes in times, I was like, dang. A lot of people said like he would run in the four threes. And uh, another guy is from Florida. So from Florida and ended up going up to North Dakota. So he took that Florida heat with him. Also, you know, not really a system that's conducive to wide receiver play either. They run the ball a lot at North Dakota State. So another, another part of the equation too. All right. So we have 15 consensus round one grades that all three of us agree on. Those 15, I'll throw them out for the fans as we wrap this up. Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson. So just for the record, that's out of the 15, five guys are edge rushers. Thibodeau, Hutchinson, Ajabo, Walker, Johnson, throwing Jordan Davis. So that's six of the 15 are defensive linemen, right? Keep going down the list. You have Trevor Penning, Charles Cross, which means four of the top 15 are offensive tackles. Assuming you count Neil and Aquan, who was offensive tackles. So that's 10 of the f- top 15 guys in our consensus opinion play up front. In addition to that, you got the three DBs, Hamilton, Sauce, Derek Stingley, and then you have uh, the wide receivers, Jamison Williams and Garrett Wilson. The guys that some of us agree and some of us don't on the list, Karloftis, Kenyon Green, Linderbaum, Booth, Elam, Olave, Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, Daxton Hill, Malik Willis, and Drake London. So those are the guys, and I think it kind of shows, and this is a good way to wrap it up, guys. When you only have a consensus with the three of us, 15, I think it shows how when you get to the draft this year, I think a lot of different front offices are going to have very different-looking boards 
And it's not going to be like a, a really star studded top 15 with a lot of big guys going off the board without a lot of these skill guys. I think it also shows the fact that what something has been said for literally since October, it's not a very impressive quarterback class because, you know, when you have four or uh, five quarterbacks taken in the top 15, so it's, it's easier to say instead of board uh, when you've got all those quarterbacks up top. But as I've said time and time again, I mean, this is a draft that in the 1980s, teams would have been over the moon about. You got impact defensive players up top. You got offensive tackles up top. You got quarterbacks up top. And before everybody started reaching for quarterbacks, for signal callers, those were the positions that were the most desired come draft day. And that's what you have. So while e even though the draft boards may be different, I think there's going to be from the general managers, especially from many of the old general managers, there'll be a lot of smiles because there are players at priority positions that grade highest and very good players in this year's draft. Your overall thoughts on, on, on this exercise, Croc, and kind of what we learned about the class. Yeah, I, I like it. I've been a little bit higher on it. And I, and I hear some people on the outside say, oh, it's not that strong of a class. But I, I agree with Tony. I think the misconception there is that the, there's not quarterbacks at the top. So you start off from the jump drafting the offensive tackles, the, the, the potential linebackers, the edge rushers, you know, the everybody's going to fly off right away. And I think that's going to kind of throw off the perception of what this class is. But I think a lot of these uh, guys are extremely talented. If I were a team picking in the top 10, I'd be extremely excited by the potential of whatever is going to fall to me because I'm going to get a guy that's going to impact the game at a at a high level, whether it's on the O-line or defensive line. You got to build in the trenches. So I, I like it. I like it. And that's not even counting guys that have, you know, just a super high upside, but maybe aren't going in the top 10 because of positional value, like maybe like a Kyle Hamilton or something. Good stuff, guys. We'll see you next week. We'll talk some free agency and then take some questions from fans. Appreciate it as always. For Eric Crocker and Tony Pauline, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on Draft Season. We'll see you next time, everybody. Remember to find us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave a five-star positive review as we try to grow this thing. We'll see you then. Enjoy NFL free agency. We'll talk to you next week.